So Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd like to now invite Pastor Jeff, who will share today's message titled Disparaging God. morning. Thanks for your patience as we bear my voice together. Now, there is um, one question that I find myself asking a lot, myself a lot, and maybe you guys ask yourself this too. It drives much of what we do in life. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, does the marginal benefit of something outweigh the marginal cost? What do I do to maximize the value of whatever it is I'm doing or even enduring? Maybe it's this past summer deciding where to go for vacation. You know, do I take my kids halfway across the world or do I pick somewhere close by? You're choosing where to live or where to move to, what job to take. You know, this pays better but has a longer commute. <clears throat> what class or extracurricular activity to enroll in. You know, this is, this is going to really separate me out from the rest of my classmates on my college apps, but it's not really something I really enjoy or something that I see myself doing for the long term. Is it worth it? And when we ask that question, we're asking ourselves, you know, what benefit is there to me, to us? We consider the different factors that would give us added value to see as a gain and not as a loss, right? What's the upside here? But maybe there's been times where you're thinking about a decision and you've been surprised, right? You're looking to see if something is worth it. You determine that it's not or you think that it's not because you're looking at this one factor or you're looking at these set of factors. And sometimes with a lot of decisions, it has to do with money, right? You know, this isn't worth it because I'm not getting a good deal. You know, it doesn't pay. There's no financial upside for me. But maybe you're surprised to see that it actually ends up being worth it, but for a completely different reason. You know, to some extent, this is, I think, what's happening here in our passage this morning, that Malachi has been continuing over the past few weeks to deliver the word of the Lord to God's wayward people, Israel. 
And in our passage this morning, <laughs> Israel is disparaging God. So it's this word that we use dis- to disparage, right? It means that they are questioning the worth of serving God. It's the very thing that we were singing about for many songs this morning. They're questioning the worth of obeying God and following him. They're saying that the worship of God is worthless, that personal piety is pointless. And so in our passage this morning, I think what we're going to see that Malachi brings out from God to us is that serving God is profitable, not pointless. Serving God is profitable, not pointless. But, you know, first, let's turn with me to Malachi 3, verse 13. We're going to be, begin there. We're going to see exactly why Israel sees the opposite, right? That they, why they feel like disparaging God, why they feel like questioning the worth. And so this is the first point this morning. Now sometimes, maybe you and I, just like Israel, we disparage God when we conflate profit with prosperity. We've seen in the previous chapters that God brings uh, charge after charge after to Israel. And today's charge is this, that your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. What they're saying is, is harsh, right? It's insolent, it's combative words. They're saying this, it is vain to serve God, right? They have this attitude. Maybe, maybe you and I, we wouldn't say these words explicitly, but maybe we felt it. We've thought it. We've prayed it in our prayers as we wrestle with these things that you know, maybe we feel deep down that at times it feels like it is futile to follow God, that it is useless, it's pointless, it gives no gain, it provides no profit. And, and, but notice here that this is what they're saying about God, right? They're not even bringing it to him, lamenting to him. They're talking about this with each other whispering with one another, saying, disparaging God to one another. So this is what they're posting about, right? This is the comments that they add to whatever it is that they're doing. You know, they're, they're saying this, and they add this one small tidbit here that kind of betrays the attitude that they really carry. That it is vain to serve God. In serving here, we're talking about worship and obedience. Now why? Why would they do that? Why would they... Go as far as to disparage God, to make such a statement, to undermine the value and the significance, the relevance of serving and worshiping and obeying God. Verse, so verse 14, if you look with me there, what, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Which is to say that you know, their personal piety is not producing supposedly promised results. And so what they've done is they adopted this posture, this cause and effect posture, where they, where they believe that you know, if, I'm, if I do these things, I can get God to do these other things. Right? Put in something, get something out. Put in this thing into an equation, and it'll turn out this result. But for them, as Malachi even already pointed out earlier, these were people who still committed we're committed to doing injustices, selfish acts, exploiting the defenseless and the needy. And so to walk as in mourning was for them to put on this appearance, right? Believing that in doing so, they could have a claim on God's goodness and blessing. Let me just go through the motions, do what I think needs to be done or what people need to see, and maybe I will get something in return. 
And by doing so, they had this posture, this belief, this attitude that they could manipulate God to give them what they wanted. And so at the heart of this was that they were conflating profit with prosperity. Verse 15, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. And, and, and so they, they're disparaging God when they say it's vain to serve God. They're saying it's vain because they ask, what's the profit here? Why is it worth it in serving God? And for them, the profit is prosperity. And, and look what that means. Look what's happening here at the, at the root of this disparaging we look deep down into our hearts, their hearts, is this attitude of comparison. Not a healthy comparison. But when they look at us, look at them, say when they look around, the righteous go unrewarded and the wicked go unpunished. And so they're making a comparison in their hearts between two groups of people, right? They're, they're looking at these people with the so-called arrogant, and they're saying, they're blessed. Looking at the evildoers and saying, they're, they prosper. Right? They're looking at their social media and say, oh, their lives look so good. That life is going so well. But you know, I know that they're not as good as they make themselves out to be. But yet, life seems to be going so well for them. And those people who even dare to challenge God as if daring God to, ch- to punish them, well, they escape judgment. Where's the justice in all of that? And so the response of these people is to actually look at the arrogant and the wicked, those who rebel against God and say, what? God is on their side. God delights in them. You know, for them, profit is conflated with prosperity. If their supposed righteousness isn't begetting them prosperity, then they start to question the worth, the value of serving God. You know, what's the point? Right? What's the point if I, if I do all this and still life is hard and I suffer and the wrongs done to me are not righted? And I think I, I, we can relate to some of that, right? We can relate to that sentiment. Now, these days, you know, I've heard it said that one of the pertinent questions that many of us, many of the people in the next generation too is, is, is wondering about wrestling with, it's not, does God exist? But is God good? It's not so much, right, you know, that I need to provide this apologetic, right, this argument for the existence of God using philosophical and theological arguments, which is good. And, and we as students of Scripture should, should know these arguments, be prepared to know, you know, whether or not God is actually real or not. But also at the same time, realizing that for a lot of people, maybe some of us here this morning, it's not about whether God is there or not, because he could be there, Right? But it's about whether God is good. What kind of God is, is he? Right? That's the same question that Israel is wrestling with. They're not questioning whether God is real, whether God exists. They know he's there. They're questioning what kind of God he is. And so they're disparaging God. They're saying, well, you're the kind of God that it's not worth it to serve you. It's not worth it. And this truth that God is good, that he is worth, the very things that we're saying about this morning, it's a hard thing to hold on to, right? When we, we look around and we see the arrogant blessed and the wicked prospering, we also make this comparison. Maybe we have the categories right, but maybe we got some things mixed up. But who's in what category or whatever, right? And we look at ourselves and think, what profit is there 
and serving and following God. And deep down, maybe some of us, you know, for Israel, it's, it's better to, we might think, it's better to be an unbeliever than to be a disciple of Jesus. Because if this is how the world works, according to the Christian faith, I don't want no part of it. And I don't want to serve a God where people don't get what they deserve. We disparage God when we conflate profit with prosperity. Now, Malachi remarks on this. He starts to respond to this, and he says, no, in fact, serving God is profitable, not pointless. And we're introduced to another group of people, so there's this comparison happening here, right? Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And so that's interesting, right? Because now we're pointed to this group of God-fearers. It's making a statement about the previous group of people who admired the arrogant. Maybe that these people, they, they weren't as righteous as they, were, they thought, that they were right in, in the sense that they were saying that their service was futile because their service was just lip service. Now for those people who fear the Lord, as they spoke with one another, the text says that the Lord heard them. These people had a different perspective on God's justice than the cynics before them. The text talks about this book of remembrance that is written. The point, the point here with this book, right, is that God is paying attention. God is not ignorant of what is happening on here on earth or in our lives or what we see, God sees. The point of this book is that nothing was forgotten. <coughs> and it ought to be a source of encouragement to the righteous to those who feared the Lord, that God would remember. He would remember their faithfulness, their covenant obedience. So God says this, verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. There is treasured possession. There is. We are his sons and daughters. God loves them so like a father loves his son, like a father loves his daughter, like a parent loves their child, and he will spare them from his judgment. Serving God is profitable, not pointless, because God, like us, like these people, does make a distinction. There is comparison happening here, but maybe here, as we see in Malachi, the people of Israel kind of got their comparison a little bit wrong. But Malachi is reiterating the fact that, yes, God does make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Right? Because at the heart of this disparaging God is this comparison, this attitude, right? But it's this, mis uh, this attitude that is maybe a, a little bit off for them. For them here, it's the question of whether God distinguishes between these two groups of people. And for the first group in verses 13 and 15, they're saying, no, you know, God doesn't make a distinction. We do, but God doesn't. You know, because I don't see it happening right now. Right now. So it, it can't be true. 
And for the second group in verse 16 to 18, God is reminding them, those who fear them once more, yes. In fact, there is a distinction between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. But that distinction will be made clear and final, not today, but on a day that is coming. We see glimpses of that today, but, but finally and ultimately on a day that is coming. So in verses 1 to 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers, the same terms that are, that are being referenced earlier, being used here, all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Why, why is serving God profitable, not pointless? It's this, because though justice may not come immediately, we know, but it will come eventually. The scripture often talks about this day, like capital D day, right? The day of the Lord. When it's referring to time in the future when Christ will return in glory and in power. When God's justice will be meted out completely and finally. You know, Malachi compares this to this day to burning like an oven. It's like an incinerator with a fire so powerful that there's going to be nothing left. You know, the image that comes to mind, you know, Yin and I, my family, were in Taiwan uh, a few weeks ago. And we were at this hotel and they had this, like, this, um, this deal with this local movie theater. So it was like free movies. And so we had our parents, uh, the grandparents, take care of Titus. Um, and we went to go see Oppenheimer at 11.30 at night. And, you know, it's a three-hour movie, and so this is the only time. Now what happened was that Titus wake, wakes up at, like, two hours in and starts crying for us. So we only made it two-thirds of the way in. But we got to the point in the movie, if you don't know Oppenheimer, it's a movie about the, the making of the atom bomb. Uh, we got to the point where um, they, they, the test, the Manhattan Project, they make the atom bomb go off, right? And this is a spectacular sight, right? of just this bright light, just this entire area incinerated. And, and from what I know, like they did an actual, they didn't use an atom bomb, right, in the making of the movie, but they tried to replicate that, not with CGI, but with actual detonation and explosives and stuff right, like that, right? But it gives off this image, right, of a thousand atom bombs at this day of the Lord, of just this a fire so powerful that will incinerate evil, that justice and righteousness will remain, will still be true. That there will be nothing left that is evil or suffering or wrong. You know, verse 1 says, It will neither leave them, <coughs> leave them neither root nor branch. And it's an expression there called a, a merism, right? Which is this uh, a fancy word for this literary rhetorical device that takes two contrasting things Two contrasting parts to refer to the whole, right? So, for example, beginning of Genesis, beginning of the book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's merism, right? It's not simply that God created the heavens and the earth. It's 
an expression to say that really God is using these two things or the scriptures talking about these two things to refer to everything in between as well. So when God says, you know, I created the heavens and the earth, it means he created everything, right? In the same way here, it's not just the root and not just the branch that is set ablaze, but the whole forest of the wicked are set ablaze so that there's nothing left. It's obliterated. It's incinerated. And God names the same categories of people that Israel themselves, they were calling blessed and prosperous in verse 15. Because at that point, Israel, again, was conflating profit with prosperity. They were looking at their fortunes instead of their fate. But God says, ultimately, there's going to be judgment for the wicked and vindication for the righteous. And so in verse 2, God shifts now to uh, addressing his people, <laughs> the, the righteous, directly. He says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. He shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and he shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act as the Lord of hosts. Malachi is challenging our perspective to see God's justice and we know that we care about God's justice. We support organizations that care about God's justice, just like IAJM, the, the video that we showed this morning. But it's to see God's justice alongside God's timing. Right? It doesn't mean that we don't try to bring out God's justice today, but also knowing that there is going to become a day when God's justice will come fully and completely. And to know that delayed justice is not actually discarded justice. In fact, it's a sign of God's grace and his loving kindness and his patience that he wants more time, more time for us to turn back to him. More time for us to truly see the beauty and the worth of following him and serving him. Right? This is what Malachi is all about. Right? It's a wake-up call. An alarm clock, a timer, right, to, to call us back to God before that day of the Lord comes. A wake-up call to the spiritually apathetic and the cynical and the frustrated and the jaded. For those of us to see God is worth it. That he loves us so much and for us to turn back to him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your unending love for us, for the worth that it is of serving you, of following you. Help us to see. Help us to see your justice. Help us to see your love. Help us to see your patience. Help us to see the worth of serving you, even when life doesn't go the way that we want it, even when we see um, suffering and endure it in hardships, God. Help us to enjoy your presence and the goodness of following you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.